You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Hey, real quick, before we hop into this week's edition of Banner Monday, I just wanted to let you know, I'm looking right now at the listings on SeatGeek for tickets. And there are some really good seats available at really good prices for the Central Arkansas game, for the Jacksonville game. You know, we're talking from 15 bucks for the Central Arkansas game, uh, prices as low as $33 for the Jacksonville game. These are such great opportunities. You know, if you don't get a chance to go to Simon Scott Assembly Hall that often, these are such great opportunities to get there. Uh, and then, of course, Big Ten play starts in January, and there's some good tickets available for the Illinois game starting at $34. So definitely, if you're thinking about going to those games, check out SeatGeek uh, and see if any of those seats work for you um, so that you can get in there, cheer on the Hoosiers, uh, and see you know Juwan play live, see Romeo play live, see Rob Finnessy, see all these guys uh, on this team that really, you know, despite maybe not playing perfect basketball yet, they're winning games, uh, which is obviously huge. And you know, when it comes to tickets, when you're shopping online for tickets, it can be kind of a complicated process because there are obviously many sites. They all have different levels of reliability. That makes it kind of hard to know who to trust. But this is actually why SeatGeek is the way to go. You know, they fully guarantee every single purchase, and we've had listeners to the show who have you know ordered from SeatGeek and maybe some issue has come up, and SeatGeek always handles it, not just to the satisfaction, but to the delight of people because they always let me know about it. And you know that's one of the reasons why I feel so comfortable and confident recommending SeatGeek to you here on the show. They fully guarantee the tickets. They pull millions and millions of tickets into one place so that you can easily find the seats that you want for a price you're willing to pay. And as we've talked about before, and as you know, there's nothing like being there in person. Imagine being there in at Banker's Life Fieldhouse and Rob Finnessy made that shot. I mean, that would have been crazy. And SeatGeek is going to get you closer to the action for a great value. So when you want tickets, check out SeatGeek. They have a great app. I use it on my phone. You know, if I'm going to be shopping for sports ticket tickets, concert tickets, whatever, it's really, really helpful. And best of all, since you listen to the Assembly Call, you get $10 off your first purchase. So download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code ASSEMBLY today, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y. That's promo code ASSEMBLY, and you will get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. All right, here is this week's edition of Banner Monday. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we kick off each week by doing what IU fans love more than anything else, talking hoops. IU hoops, Big Ten hoops, and deep dives into basketball strategy and concepts and film work. We do it all here every Monday, and we are happy to have you here with us. I'm your host, Jared Morris. This is the ninth edition of Banner Monday, and it is our 457th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the afternoon of Monday, December 17th, 2018. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. 
So you might recall that last week's Banner Monday Banner moment was a rundown of Rob Finnessy's clutch plays that helped Indiana beat Penn State and Louisville. Well, somehow, on Saturday, against Butler in the Crossroads Classic, Big Shot Rob found a way to top all of those clutch moments with one of the biggest dagger shots in the history of Indiana basketball. But of course, as everyone who watched the game knows, Indiana wouldn't have even had the opportunity to win the game in the final seconds were it not for the brilliant offensive performance delivered by Jawan Morgan. He made threes. He made free throws. He leveraged his ballerina's feet, old man strength, and magician's touch around the basket to go eight for eight on twos. In the end, Jawan put up 35 points, crossing the 1,000-point barrier in the process and carried his Hoosiers to the finish line in a game they otherwise had no business being in down the stretch. So take your pick of any of Juwan's 12 made baskets or any of his seven free throws. All of them qualify as banner moments because sometimes when it's not your day, you just need a senior to step up and take it upon himself to give you a chance to win. Juwan did that on Saturday, adding yet another legendary performance to his growing resume as one of the top 50 players to ever wear the cream and crimson. All right, well, to my right, uh, it was supposed to be Ryan Phillips, columnist for the big lead and co-host of The Hangover, uh, but he uh, is not here, so I'm sure that there is a perfectly reasonable explanation for this. There typically is. Uh, so I'll just uh, roll with it here uh, without a co-host, which is totally fine. Uh, Mike DeCourcy will be here in just a little while as we're going to take a look at IU and look around the Big Ten. Obviously, he was at the Crossroads Classic, so he'll have uh, a lot to say about Juwan's performance, about Rob's shot, about how Indiana is looking. Uh, we're going to have another edition of Basketball 201 with Ben Ladner coming up, and we will preview Central Arkansas. It'll be a very quick preview, but we'll kind of take a look ahead to Central Arkansas as well in the final segment. All of that is coming this week on Banner Monday, and of course, I'm going to answer your questions uh, here in just a minute. Uh, I do want to just remind you real quick to use SeatGeek. Uh, I was just on checking. Lots of really good tickets available for the Central Arkansas game, for the Jacksonville game after that, for the Illinois game that will get Big Ten play resumed after the holiday. So go there and check it out. You can download their app, which is incredibly useful, incredibly user-friendly. You can also use the URL iutickets.shop at any point to go there. Uh, that's our affiliate link, so it helps us out when you use that and end up making a purchase. But make sure that you use the promo code ASSEMBLY so that you get $10 off your first purchase uh, whenever you do decide to use SeatGeek. Okay, so let me uh, open up the chat here. I want to be able to... I always like to have the YouTube chat box open so that I can uh, keep tabs, see what the chat mobbers are saying. Usually I can do it quietly while, uh, while Ryan's talking. A little bit harder to do uh, when it's just me. Uh, but let's get to some questions here because uh, we got a lot of good ones and I'm excited to go through and answer some of these. So we got this question and I just, I forgot to write down the name of the person who sent this in. It was actually a comment on the IU Butler postgame show. Um, but he said, was Juwan's Butler game the greatest performance by a Hoosier going back to the Andre Patterson 40-point Duke game? And what other individual uh, Hoosier performances compare? Only other one that comes to mind for me is Greg Graham's 27-made free throw game. Uh, so a couple notes there. Uh, one, Andre Patterson scored 39 points in that Duke game. was unbelievable uh, in that game where Indiana won the preseason NIT. Just one of the great individual performances in IU history. Uh, Greg Graham was 26 of 28 from the line in that Purdue game. That was in 1993. He scored 32 points. He was unreal in that game. I was actually at that game. It, it Just a, a great memory for me as a young IU fan. 
So those are great performances. You know, Juwan's Butler performance, obviously up there, the 35 points, you know, how meaningful every single point was. Go back one year to what he did last year against Notre Dame. That was also a very memorable uh, performance. Juwan's 35 points, actually the most that have been scored by a Hoosier since Yogi scored 38 and had five assists against IPFW back in 2016. Now, of course, the difference there is, you know, that was at home. IPFW ranked 135th. And while we certainly shouldn't take home victories uh, over Fort Wayne, for granted, that wasn't really on the kind of stage that you would necessarily propel that game up to a great historic individual performance. You know, some other ones that came to mind, the first guy I thought of was Victor Oladipo and what he did against Michigan State when we finally won at Michigan State. His stats weren't crazy impressive. I think it was like 19.7 rebounds, something like that. But he just made play after play at the end of that game. His stats were actually more impressive uh, for the Ohio State game. And that was a top 10 Ohio State team that year when he had 26 points and five rebounds in that game. Cody had a huge individual performance uh, when Indiana won at Michigan to clinch the Big Ten title, 25 points and 10 rebounds. Now, obviously not you know, on the same level scoring-wise as Juwan, didn't break that 30-point barrier. Um, you know, Jared Jeffrey's game against Duke when he had 24 points and 15 rebounds, not nearly as efficient as Juwan was, but an even bigger stage, kind of a bigger game, bigger moment. So, you know, it's one of those things. It's like you have to balance the statistics, the production, with also kind of the stage and the opponent and how much the game meant. And there have just been so many of these great performances by Hoosiers over the years you know, which is part of what makes a question like this fun, but also challenging. So I welcome your thoughts here. Send us a tweet at Assembly Call. Comment on the YouTube video. What other incredible individual performances by a Hoosier does Juwan's performance against uh, against Butler and even his performance last year against Notre Dame remind you of? Um, let me know, because obviously, you know, there were a lot that came to mind for me, but I'm curious to see what comes to mind for you when you think about that. So appreciate that question. Uh, so Ellen asks, do you think it's time for Coach Miller to revamp the starting lineup to help the team get off to a better start, like starting Zach over Al? I don't know. You know, I've wondered that because Indiana has obviously struggled to get off to good starts. You know, right now you've got Rob, Romeo, Al, Justin, and Juwan in the starting lineup. You're clearly going to keep Rob and Romeo and Jawan in the starting lineup. I think Justin Smith, you're going to keep in there too because of what he does defensively, even though he struggled a little bit offensively. And as Ellen's question alludes to, it's kind of that, you know, that fifth spot. Do you put Zach back in there? Do you possibly, you know, bring Devontae Green in so that you have another ball handler playmaker? Might that help a little bit? You know, you do that, but you also have to deal with some of his turnover issues as well. If you put Zach in there, you know, you have a guy who clearly isn't offensive-minded right now. He passed up so many open looks in that Notre Dame game. So that helps you defensively, doesn't help you offensively, and now has been a guy that's really been up and down. So I don't think that there's an obvious answer right, right now in terms of personnel, um, just because I think every single guy that you could look at has some questions. What I think might be interesting to try rather than different personnel is maybe a different mindset coming out. You know, maybe, and we're going to get to this here with this next question that Bill asked, but, you know, you talk about some adjustments Indiana might do offensively. You know, maybe run some pick and rolls early that Indiana's been really good at. Um, you know, maybe, you know, you know, do some things to get Romeo going early in the game that kind of force the action uh, with him instead of kind of allowing him to let the game come to him like he did against Butler, but where he doesn't even, you know, get on the board until 15 minutes into the game. You know, so maybe there's something there 
with Romeo and Juwan where you can run some sets or talk to them and kind of make a concerted effort that they're going to go attack right out of the gates. Maybe that helps you some um, on the offensive end. But, you know, I think more than anything, it's figuring out a collective way for the guys to channel the way that they're playing in the final five to ten minutes out of the gates. And, you know, my one fear with winning all of these close games, obviously winning close games is awesome. You want to win as many games as possible. But as I said on the postgame show, you know, you want to lean on it. You don't want to rely on it. So you just hope that that these guys aren't so comfortable coming back and winning close that they take those early minutes for granted. Because at some point, you're going to dig yourself a hole and you're not going to be able to come out of it. The ball's not going to bounce your way. So I think it's a collective mentality. And then maybe there are some things offensively that they can do if it takes, you know, Joanna Romeo a little bit of time to get going because we know the offense runs through those guys to maybe get them going a little bit. And as Bill said, you know, should coach make some offensive adjustments to open up more driving lanes for Romeo? If so, what would they be? You know, I think the thing that everybody looks at is the pick and roll. Indiana's only running pick and rolls 10% of the time right now, according to numbers at Synergy. Synergy, And Romeo has been the ball handler in almost half of them. So when they are running pick and rolls, it's Romeo doing a lot of it, and he's the only guy who's been successful at it. You know, the numbers, it's a small sample size, but the numbers for Rob Allen, Devontae, are not good. For Romeo, they're outstanding. He has been the ball handler in the pick and roll on 37 possessions. Indiana has scored 46 points. That's 1.243 points per possession. That's in the 96th percentile nationally. He's very good at it because, you know, any way that you're going to try and defend the pick and roll he can kind of take advantage of it, you know, because he's such a skilled offensive player and he's so good. I mean, even if you're committed to stopping the dribbler, he is so slithery and can move so quickly, even though it doesn't look like he's moving that quick, that he can really get downhill and get to the basket anyway. And if you pair him with Juwan, you know, how do you defend that? And, and, and so that's what I would say is more pick and rolls with Romeo in general and more with Juwan. Because when you have Juwan as a screener, defenses have to respect him because he can pop out and make a three. He can roll, and we know how efficient he is on twos. So that is really going to open up opportunities, especially for Romeo, because Juwan's man isn't going to be able to concentrate just on stopping Romeo. He's got to worry about Juwan, too. And now if you bring over another defender to try and help out with the two of them, you know, now you're going to leave somebody else open. So I just think that would open it up. I'm not exactly sure why they haven't done it more. Um, and who knows? You know, maybe they're doing it the exact right amount and it's been so efficient. But I would like to see that kind of opens up. Um, uh, you know, I think that could help open up some things a little bit more for him. And then, you know, I'll tell you the other thing, Bill, and this isn't an adjustment, but I think it's something that needs to continue and then we'll open up the, the driving lanes more, is IU shooters just need to keep hitting shots so that opponent defenses will respect them. You know, you look at Indiana's shooting right now. It was such a big issue last year. Right now, Indiana is hitting 36.6% of their threes. That's 81st in the country. That's really, really good. You know, now it's not, you know, Tom Crean era good where you're in the top 10, but that's good. You know, if you're shooting that well, defenses are going to have to respect you. And Indiana has several guys. Juwan's hitting 48.1%. Uh, Rob Finnessy, 42.9%. Al Durham, 40%. Evan Fitzner, 45%. You know, Justin Smith is 40%, but he's only two for five. But so you've got some guys playing big minutes who are shooting 40 plus percent. If that finishes, if it finishes like that over the course of the year, that's really, really good. And so I think right now, defenses, much like IU fans, don't respect Indiana shooting enough because we always cite it as an issue. 
and it is still an issue, but the numbers, I think, have been better than maybe what the eye test suggests or, or kind of what we think it is. But I think if Indiana keeps shooting well, and if a guy like Romeo can improve his shooting, if Devontae Green can get on track, you know, he's only 5 of 18 right now. You know, now you have more shooters out there. Defenses are going to have to respect it, and that is going to open up some driving lanes. So that is a positive trend so far over the first 11 games that just needs to continue. And if it does, that in and of itself is going to help open up some of those driving lanes that you were talking about. Brent asks, which bench player would you most like to see get confidence-boosting minutes this week, building some depth, depth as the team heads into conference play? You know, <clears throat> I think we'd all love to see Demise, Clifton, and Jake get out there and get some time. Number one, because, you know, you're an injury or two away from those guys, you know, one of those guys or two of those guys being forced to play legitimate minutes in Big Ten games. So you want them as ready as possible. So we all want to see them get back out there, build some confidence. <laughs> but also, if those guys are out there, that means that the, you know, the first eight guys in the rotation are taking care of business and these games against Central Arkansas and Jacksonville aren't close, which they shouldn't be close. But we saw in you know, the, the UT Arlington and the UC Davis games are near enough in the rearview mirror that we shouldn't take any of these games for granted. So I want to see those guys get out there for, for those couple of reasons. But, you know, other things that I would really like to see when it comes to bench players, I would like to see Devontae Green make some shots and, you know, create some offense both for himself and for his teammates without turning the ball over. That would be big. And he only had one turnover in the Butler game against five assists. So I think he did that. But he, you know, kind of struggled to get his own offense going. I, you know, we saw him in, in Big Ten play last year when he really got going. He can be such a confident offensive player and such a good scorer. He's just streaky. So it would be nice to see him kind of start to pick up one of those positive streaks in this game because I think Indiana's going to need his offense. He's a big X factor down the stretch who, you know, if he comes around and, and continues to improve because I think he has been playing better, he can really help this Indiana team. I want to see Zach McRoberts take and make some open shots. And usually when he takes them, he makes them. So it's more about him taking them. You know, it's clearly a confidence thing with him, but when he gets open, he's got to be able to take those shots. And I would also like to see Evan Fitzner get out there and have some positive minutes, get some open threes, knock them down. We know he can do it, but he's really kind of been fading in importance in some of these recent games. And I think the up-and-down nature of his performance will continue in Big Ten play because he's very matchup dependent, but it would be nice to see him get out there and knock down some shots just to know that uh, you know that, uh, that shot is well-oiled and ready to go when it's needed in Big Ten play uh, because it will be. So that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking about the bench, guys. Uh, IU Artifacts sends in this question. Four straight wins of three points or less has caused some libation intake increase among Hoosier Nation. Uh, yes. Uh, I think we can all agree that we would like to see us trend more to be in control of games, especially from the get-go. What's the biggest factor area that needs to be addressed for the Hoosiers to turn the corner and be in game situations where they are much in control? You know, I think we addressed this a little bit earlier, talking about the way that Indiana starts games. You know, What was the one game where Indiana has really been in control? The Marquette game. You know, Indiana came out in that game, and they were the absolute aggressors. I, you know, part of me kind of wants to go back and watch the, the film of that because our defense at the beginning of that game was just outstanding. I mean, we came out to swallow them whole. And, you know, look, it was a great atmosphere. You know, we had come, that was on the heels of playing just outstanding defense against Montana State. 
And our defense can still be like that, and we are at times that good defensively, but we haven't really come out of the gates like that. And so to me, you know, I, I think for as breathtaking offensively as Juwan can be, uh, and, and the same thing goes for Romeo, and for as much as the offense really you know, kind of kept Indiana in the game against Butler, it's once Indiana clamped down defensively that they made that comeback. And I just, I think the DNA of this team is defensive-minded. And when they're really playing aggressive defensively, I think for the most part, that helps to kind of get the offense going. And that's what we saw in the Marquette game. So whatever Indiana was doing defensively against Montana State and Marquette, especially at the beginning of games, let's get back to that. And maybe part of that is getting everybody healthy and just getting back into the rhythm. You know, although we've now had a pretty healthy team for a couple of weeks, so that that kind of excuse, uh, it's, it's becoming an excuse. It was an explanation for a while. Now, if we keep using it, it'll be an excuse because at some point, like, all right, race isn't here. Jerome isn't here, but pretty much everybody else is ready to go. These are the guys that we've had. Those are the guys that we had at Marquette. Let's get back to that. So to me, that's it. I think the biggest factor is coming out at the beginning of games ready to impose our will because frankly, you know, winning allows you to forget it. But the first halves of the Louisville and Butler games were not good. I mean, we just barely hung around, but we weren't up to the challenge physically. We weren't playing as tough as our opponents. They were getting 50-50 balls. So that kind of stuff needs to change, and we need to be ready to do that for 40 minutes, and that will help us to be in control. Because I don't think offensively, while we're going to have good stretches, I don't think we're going to come out and just you know light teams up offensively. I think if we're going to be in control and get a big lead, it's because our offense is playing pretty well and we're just grinding people down defensively to the point where, you know, maybe we score 10, 11 points in between TV timeouts, but they score one or two, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, holy smokes. And you start to do that, you know, over the course of a couple, you know, a couple little runs in a row. And now you're really dominating somebody. So that, to me, is the key to that happening. And that's that's what I'm looking for in the Central Arkansas and Jacksonville games. You know, how do we come out and start? Can we get back to, you know, because we've made closing games well a habit. Can we make starting games well a habit? So, you know, and I think you got to put some of the onus there on the upperclassmen and on the coaches to figure out what it's going to take to unlock that. Uh, JD says, why as a fan base are we so reticent to enjoy this IU basketball team? You would think this is a 500 team by the takes I've seen written and discussed. If you compare this team to what our highest possible expectations were, we are a mistip, bad foul call away from one blowout loss at Duke and essentially our best possible record. Uh, ranked ACC teams will get blown out at Duke this year. Yes. And he says, I'm part of the problem too, but at least we're winning. Isn't winning supposed to be fun for fans? Yes. And I, you know, I ranted about this a little bit on the post game show too. And I think most Indiana fans are, you know, enjoying this basketball team and, and, and are able to see, you know, obviously the value in these, you know, in winning four straight games. You know, I think the issue is the, the Duke loss was just really a reminder of how far we have to go to, you know, be one of the nation's elite teams. But expecting this team to be elite at any time this season, but certainly by the end of November was unrealistic. So, you know, now winning these last four games, despite, you know, playing imperfectly and despite actually playing poorly at certain times, I think you are seeing some people, you know, recognize that and kind of, you know, get on the bandwagon, uh, so to speak. But I think there are members of the fan base, JD, that are, 
what's the best way to say this? You know, still conditioned because of the roller coaster nature of how this program has been to as soon as something goes up to kind of expect it to come crashing down. And if you see fissures like, you know, turnover issues and poor free throw shooting and some of these kind of fundamental issues, it makes you even more afraid that the the wins and the success is being built on a house of cards that's going to crumble. And I just think it's going to take some time to for the collective fan base to be conditioned out of that. I think Tom Crean did some great things at Indiana. Stability and consistency, those were not his strong suits. You know, he was going to give you some great seasons. Uh, and if he had stayed on, he probably would have at some point it would have cycled around and Indiana would have been really good again. I just don't know that Tom Crean is built for consistently winning at a school like Indiana. I think Archie Miller and his mentality and at least the way that he's gone about it early on suggests that maybe he is, but we won't know until we actually see it. And so I think, J.D., it's just this point where people really want to believe, but they're still, you know, I mean, look at what the last five years have been since that 2013 team. There was that one really good season in there of 2016, and it's it's been a lot of bad or a lot of mediocre outside of that. And so you don't just get over that automatically. It takes some time. So I understand that mindset, but I do share the feeling that, look, Let's get behind these guys. Let's get excited. Wins are wins. This is a talented, fun group that has a lot of potential to keep getting better. So, you know, when you're presented with the opportunity to focus on the positive or focus on the negative, let's focus a little bit more on the positive and get excited about what these guys are doing because at 9-2, and two, they've really set themselves up to do some big things this season if they're able to take care of business and be one of the top three or four teams in the Big Ten like we all know that they're capable of being. Alrighty. Uh, thank you, as always, for sending in those questions. I appreciate them. Hopefully I uh, did an able job of answering them um, without uh, without Ryan here. But uh, certainly we look forward to having Ryan back on the next episode of Banner Monday. And I look forward to finding out what his explanation is for why he wasn't able to be here. <laughs> All right. Uh, coming up on the Assembly Call, it is time for our Big Ten Roundup with Mike DeCourcy from BTN and the Sporting News. He was at the Crossroads Classic. We will get his thoughts on IU, on Purdue, and the rest of the Big Ten next. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week here in our second segment, we zoom out to take a look at how things are going across the Big Ten Conference uh, and get some expert opinion on the Indiana Hoosiers as well. And there's no one better to do that than Mike DeCourcy, who covers Big Ten hoops for BTN, in addition to his columns for the Sporting News. Mike, welcome back to Banner Monday. One of your columns in the Sporting News recently was about the Hoosiers recently because you were at the Crossroads Classic. Yeah, and I, I um, wasn't sure whether I was going to write about that game or not, uh, but with the way that it ended, I felt like I should. And I'll be honest with you, I, I when I got done with it, I mean, I, I, one, it was done pretty quickly, and that's always a plus. Uh, um, but when I got done with it, I didn't feel like I really had made a strong point. Uh, and then someone said something to me uh, on Twitter about uh, about why Robert is really good defensively for a guy who's played 10 college games. And I had actually asked Robert about, I asked him that question and he answered it and it's in the original version of the column. And he talked about his high school coach and, and what a, what a difference that made for him. And somebody uh, on Twitter said, yeah, you know, that's, 
That's why we want more Indiana guys, uh, because a lot of those guys are well coached. And I thought to myself, I was, I'll be honest with you, I was in church yesterday and I was like, and, and, and by the way, Terry Hutchinson is in the, is in the choir. So I'm, I'm allowed to think about Indiana a little bit in church. <laughs> and, and so I, all of a sudden it hit me. I, I'm, that was the column. And so I went back and I kind of did like a director's cut. So those people who read the column today got the better version because I talked about how uh, for Archie Miller coming in on day one and saying, you know, we're going to recruit Indiana. And then he brings in three guys in his first class who are Indiana kids. And two of them, two of them are in the starting lineup. And two of them are the reason that they're are, are among the very strong reasons they're on a four game winning streak. So I added a graph and some explanation about why it's important that, that they recruit locally, uh, regionally. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that doesn't mean you, you don't go get uh, Victor Oladipo uh, on the one hand or uh, someone like that, to, you know, that, that become, you know, oh, Juwan Morgan, Juwan <laughs> Morgan, a terrific example. I mean, uh, I'm not saying you don't go out and get other players from other states, but uh, there's so many good players in this region and they're so well coached in so many circumstances. It's not universal, but it's a higher percentage than it is in most places. And so from that standpoint, I think that that it showed really on the floor on Saturday the, how well Robert was coached for for Arch to trust him as much as he did. And it wasn't exclusive because Kamar Baldwin played a lot of minutes when Robert Finnessy was not on the floor. But for Robert to take him on as many trips as he did, Kamar Baldwin is clearly uh, uh, Butler's best player, a guy who's been an all Big East level player. And for him to take him as much as he did and, and do as well as he did in that matchup and, and, and for Kamar to have to absolutely just work his tail off to score his last two baskets, it shows how well coached he's been and what an asset he is to the Hoosiers now and going forward. No question. It, you know, and what was interesting about it is I actually thought his defense to start the game was some of the poorer defense that he's played in a while because Butler's guards were really able to dribble kind of wherever they wanted, and it was taking Indiana out of what they wanted to do defensively. And and Robert went out after about three minutes, and that doesn't usually happen. And I don't know if he was benched for that, if it was you know some kind of message, but boy, did he come back, which he always does. I mean, he responds to that kind of stuff so well. But by the end of the game, I mean, because Baldwin, what was he, 6 of 19 from the field, something like that? I mean, he really made him work. And that's the kind of defense that we've come to expect from him as a freshman, which is amazing. Arch was asked about that, as a matter of fact, and said that he thought that Robert was a bit nervous uh, and needed to settle down a little bit. I don't think he was blasting him, but I think he felt I think they both knew that it wasn't good enough. And that, and so that taking him out there and it, you know, maybe you can, you can look at that a million different ways, calm him down, yeah. light him up, whatever. And, and I think the message is the same, no matter how you play it, that's not good enough, but you're capable of better. And he showed that he certainly is. So obviously the shot that Rob made was unbelievable, but Indiana is not even in that position without Juwan Morgan. If there were an all crossroads classic team, <laughs> would Juwan Morgan's perform Juwan Morgan's performances the last two seasons get him on that team? It would have to, yeah. right? Well, you know, I, what I think now is they're going to have to like think. Well, you know, if somebody comes in here and scores thirty five, shouldn't we give him a trophy as like the best player of the four team? And that, so now what they'll do if they're smart is that they'll start a award and they'll get it sponsored, of course, uh, and so they'll give that to the guy who has the best day 
in the in the Crossroads Classic. And of course, Jawan won't be around to repeat his performance. However, name it I, after him. <laughs> yeah, you can name it after him. That'd be a great idea. I was thinking as I was watching that game, like the Pacers are sitting there thinking, could he fall to thirty or whatever they're going to be in the draft, twenty six, whatever. Because, uh, I mean, he likes that building up. And it, it's two years in a row now against two different opponents. He does. I mean, his his shooting was unbelievable. I mean, what did you what did you take from just watching him go out there and just dominate in every possible way offensively? Well, I think it starts with the fact that he understood he had favorable matchups in a lot of those circumstances. And, and he knew what he needed to do each time he had the ball. He scored a lot of different ways. Take those guys outside, away from the bucket. They're not as comfortable. When he posts up, you know, he has that little move he does, and he does it left and right, which is really cool that he can score with both hands. I think it's a travel, but no one calls it that. So, um, so he learned, he learned from Ethan Happ. Yes. Uh, <laughs> he, 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 I think, you know, when he, when he slips that extra foot in there, I think it is, but, um, but no one calls it and he scores on it. And he's really good with either hand. And, and because he's so, he's so quick with that, you know, a bigger guy like a Brunk isn't going to be able to deal with it as well. So he understood what his matchup was. And I think he also understood in that game where they played not well for a lot of the game that they needed everything he had if they were going to win. And he gave them everything he had. You know, it's interesting. You've now been, you've been at two of the last four. Were you at the Louisville game? Uh, No, I was not. Okay. So you were at the Northwestern game. You were at the Butler game. It's interesting that if just the last shots, those desperation heaves from those two games are switched, Indiana's own two in those two games, which is which is interesting to think about. And, you know, the four game winning streak has been great. And there's something to be said for winning close games. But obviously, this Indiana team's still flawed and they're having issues and just winning the games doesn't, you know, kind of it makes you forget about some of those issues for a little while, but it doesn't mean that they aren't there. So I'm curious, from the Northwestern game now to the Butler game, did you see growth from Indiana? Like, what what is your overall impression now of this team? Well, I think you have to say there's been some growth, because if you remember, Jared, the, the Monday after the Northwestern game, I mean, I was kind of hollering about the fact that Robert wasn't looking at the basket in certain circumstances, that he was really knocked back to an extent in that game and didn't, you know, and had open shots got where, where, and, and, you know, not late, late clock, but like possession had developed and the ball kicked back to him and he's wide open. And he's like, you know, he's looking over here, the bucket's there and he's looking over here. So that was, that was bad. There has been none of that in the three games since. So at the very minimum, there has been growth there. Uh, so I, I think you have to be pleased with that. And if that's it, and it's not all the growth you've made. I mean, Justin Smith did some things on Saturday that he did not do in the Northwestern game. He still doesn't use what he has on a consistent basis. He is one of the most dynamic players in every game he walks into, if not the most dynamic. And there aren't enough times when he takes your breath away or the other team's breath away with that dynamism. And that's something that has to be addressed because even though he has been, he was, I thought his performance was adequate in some areas on Saturday. I thought defensively the wings were where the problem was uh, that, that they just didn't get enough done, uh, especially on McDermott in that, in, in, in that area. So, you know, whether it was, um, whether it was a smaller wing, like, uh, like um, Dunham or a, uh, a bigger wing like Zach McRoberts, um, 
excuse me, Durham, not Dunham. Uh, if, if it was him or then again, like I said, Justin, uh, those three guys, they had to do better in the, against those two players, McDermott and Jorgensen, especially McDermott. And so that's a place where you still have a lot of room for growth, even though there's been a little with Justin, there needs to be more. I still see Zach not comfortable. Uh, I, he's not himself. And, and I don't know whether that comes from being out of, out of action for a while whether there's still some nagging injury uh, or whether, you know, whether he's just maybe lost a little confidence, but he's not playing like himself. Th- that was a game tailor made for him to just say, you're not playing today. You're not scoring when I'm out here, you know, you can run around all you want, but you're not, you're not going to play. And he didn't do that. And I, I saw, I've seen him do it too many times in the past to not wonder why it's missing now. So there has been some areas of progress, but I think there's still a ton. It's just so much better for you, you as a team and for the fans as a, as a you know as the supporters of the team for that for that for those issues to still be there when you're winning. If you if you solve those issues, then you win more comfortably or you win against better teams. Yep. Let's talk about Purdue because you got to see them up close. And, you know, they're such an interesting case right now. They have five losses, yet they're still in the top 20 in Ken Palm. Um, And they have, you know, clearly one of the most dynamic and best players in the country in Carson Edwards. Are they going to have enough around Edwards come Big Ten play to be a factor? Or, you know, are they just going to kind of fade into kind of the the second or third echelon of the Big Ten? Well, you know, I think that, first of all, the, the, the third echelon of the big, or the second echelon of the Big Ten is pretty good. That's true. Uh, so there's that. Uh, if you're in the second echelon, you're an NCAA tournament team. And, and I thought beginning, coming into the year, that that was their, that was a great year for them. I, I, I never understood why they were a preseason top 25 team. And I think that it was, you know, I think sometimes when you do that, you set an unreasonable expectation for a team that doesn't deserve to look like an underachiever. If this if this team gets to the NCAA's, it's had a heck of a year, uh, and especially especially if you know if you see Carson continue to to play the way he has, and I mean if if he continues to play the way he has, and this is an NCAA tournament team, he's a first team All American. That's your second in three years. That's a good advertisement for your program. Uh, I think what the, what they miss. Um, right now is, you know, that, uh, they just don't have enough. It's not just, uh, scoring it's, there's not enough contribution beyond him. And, you know, I, I look at Nogel Eastern as a guy who just isn't contributing with his ability, what he's capable of contributing. Uh, I, I see Ryan Klein. I mean, his numbers are, are fine. I mean, if he shoots 38% from the, from the three point line and, and 43% from three, excuse me, from the field. I mean, he's having a, a good season, but uh, it's been very hit or miss. It's been more five of six one day, one of five the next day. Purdue needs him to be two of five on a lot of days because that means he's contributing at a steady rate every night. And I think that that has to happen. You know, the, the big guy position, I thought they might have found something on Saturday. I thought Travion Williams a player that, you know, I don't think many of us knew a lot about coming into it. Um, I thought that he was really good in the last 10 minutes. He was Purdue's best player in the final 10 minutes of the game. And it wasn't just that he was catching the ball low and turning and scoring. And it wasn't just that he was using his size uh, on the inside defensively. He was deflecting balls. He was blocking shots. He was timing things well. 
I mean, he's a guy, he's a big guy, probably still needs to get uh, into better shape over time. But he, if he can do those kinds of things, I think that they, they, they become a different team. Then Matt Harms becomes someone that you can play off and use as a situational guy. You don't go from being really big to really small uh, as they have. You go from really big to really wide, and that and that it's still a, a factor. So uh, I think that in that's from that standpoint, that might have been a, a great uh, revelation for them. It, but only if the kid, uh, and I hope he does, uh, continues to back that up with more performances like that. I didn't realize how little he had played on the year. He took a DNP in their previous game against Texas. Wow. Yes, he did. And, you know, you look back and, I mean, Texas has big guys. And so if if they had, you know, Travion had been ready uh, in that game, he might have made a difference. And, you know, I, I don't doubt that, uh, that, that he wasn't giving them in practice what he did on Saturday because, you know, Matt's not in the habit of sitting guys who can produce and deliver. Uh, I, I'm sure that he – came into a situation where things weren't great and all of a sudden it was, Hey, he can really play. And, you know, maybe that feeds him into playing better in practice and then getting more minutes when the big 10 starts. All right. So power rankings time. There are, I believe seven big 10 teams in the AP top 25, Indiana up a few spots to number 22. What is your top four and do the Hoosiers maintain their spot in your top four? Yeah. You know, I, I, again, Michigan, um, they're, they're still a strong number one. Didn't play great on Saturday, uh, but uh, they got some good things out of that game. And then Michigan State uh, just blew through Green Bay, uh, uh, starting to find some things. Uh, Nick Ward had a great game, and so that's obviously a plus. You know, the third spot is hard uh, because there are so many different ways I could go. But, you know, even though from a from – a, um, from, from a, uh, Ken Palm standpoint, where it's about how you play. Uh, you know, I'm about what did you get done? And right now, Indiana's climbed to a point where those last four wins added to the Marquette win. I don't know that anybody in the league can match that. So I've got Indiana in the third spot now. And as, as I said, it's, that's a, that, is a, um, that is an achievement ranking. That is not a ranking of their performance, that their, uh, their, their possession to possession or, uh, game to game play. They're not, they've not been the third best team in the league, but they've done uh, as much as just about anybody has. And then four, I would go at this point with Wisconsin. Uh, Again, it's close with them and Nebraska uh, and Ohio state. They've all been terrific. And I think there's at this point, a dividing line between those five and everybody else. And the struggle for, for all the teams in the league will be to try to stay on the the high side of that. Remember, the difference between four and five is a buy uh, in the conference tournament, and, and everybody would like that extra buy. Uh, so, uh, you know, with such strong teams in the league, it's not going to be easy to to be in that top four. There weren't a ton of big games this week, but any other teams, any other players catch your eye in the action they did have? Well, I mentioned in, Mich- in that Michigan game um, – that some good things happen. And, and the best thing that happened for them was Charles Matthews, who had been fine, not fine, terrific defensively, but had been a sporadic contributor offensively and not been playing at the level that he's capable of. Uh, he, he, he broke out with uh, 25 points and got to the free throw line a ton. And he did not convert at the level he could or should. He, he was 11 out of 16, not an awful percentage, but not ideal. 
but get earning 16 free throw attempts. That's a, that's the kind of aggression he's capable of. And, you know, earlier in the year, I talked about Jordan Poole. They were winning big and Jordan Poole wasn't getting much done. And not long after that, he broke out and he's been fantastic pretty much ever since. If they get both of those guys on the wing playing at an elite level, they become that much more dangerous to everyone. And the other player that I would say uh, caught my eye was Caleb Wesson. And, and he had 22 and 10 against uh, Bucknell. Now you could say, hey, it's only Bucknell, but they needed every one of those buckets and every one of those rebounds. They only won by two points. They did not play, perform very well in that game. Uh, but Caleb, who's a very talented kid, he's not, not the most dynamic player, but he's a big body. He's got terrific hands. He can score inside and out. Uh, if he continues to evolve his body later on, I think he could play in the league. As we look forward this week, obviously Indiana, you know, hopefully they have two games that aren't interesting against Central Arkansas and Jacksonville. Um, Ohio State's playing UCLA on Saturday. Is that the biggest game involving a Big Ten team or are there other ones coming up this week? You know, I think that's a big one. Absolutely. Uh, because it's in the, uh, the um, uh, CBS Sports Classic. And as a result of that, you're talking about uh, getting national television. And so you certainly, uh, that would be a big game for the league to get. And I don't, you know, I, I think that's out of their reach. Uh, and, you know, UCLA has not performed well to this point in the year. Uh, and they're going to, and UCLA is actually coming east in advance of that game and will be at, uh, will be at Cincinnati on Wednesday. Wow. So that's a, you know, that's a, a situation where um, you're talking about uh, a, a real chance for Ohio State to get uh, UCLA when they're a little, maybe a little tired. The other game that's worth watching, uh, particularly worth watching, uh, is Seton Hall at Maryland. Seton Hall has played really good basketball lately. They, 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 their record is still, you know, they still have three losses, but they're up to seven and three now. They took out Kentucky at Madison Square Garden. They handled Rutgers, which has not been easy for a lot of teams. Uh, and so that's a challenge for Maryland because, you know, Seton Hall's guys are veteran guys. You know, they know how to play. And so from that standpoint, you know, shutting down Miles Powell, a real challenge for the young wings that Maryland has. Uh, Kentucky's wings really struggled with that. And eventually where it really caught them was they were running him off of curl, curls off of screens and and the, the Kentucky guys couldn't keep up, and the Kentucky bigs didn't do anything to affect them. So that's a, not only it's a challenge for uh, the Maryland young wings, but even maybe more so uh, somebody like Bruno Fernando, who's got to get involved in defending those screens properly so that Powell doesn't get clean catches and clean looks. Maryland's interesting because you know they're one and one in conference. They lost at Purdue. Feels like they have a lot of talent and they have a good record, but they have the 316th strongest uh, you know strength of schedule in the non-conference. So I feel like we don't quite know that much about them yet. Yeah, I saw them. I was on uh, at uh, BTN when they played uh, Maryland, so got a really good long look at that when they played. Excuse me at Purdue, uh, and I got a really good long look at that. And that's a, that was a winnable game for them. Uh, they kind of let that one get away at the end. They outperformed Purdue for a lot of that one. They are really talented. Uh, yeah. uh, Smith uh, for, for Maryland. I, I confuse the two Jay Smiths. They're trying to get me on this. You know, Indiana's Justin and they're Jalen. I mean, it's that's 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 so I so I, I go with the default Smith so I don't make a mistake <laughs> there. 
but Jalen Smith is a mega talent. I mean, he's he, he's he's one of the most gifted freshmen in the Big Ten, uh, and he he can really play. And and then you're looking uh, as well at uh, at uh, Wiggins, uh, another you know another young player who plays a lot for them. Uh, Daryl Morsell has more experience on the wing, so they've got some some guys. There, Bruno Fernando, we know what he's capable of. And then Anthony Cowan trying to tie it all together. I don't think they're all the way there yet either. Uh, kind of like Indiana. I mean, people forget Indiana's starting two freshmen. Uh, and that's that's 40% of your team. And I know one of them's a one and done and all that stuff. But and and I know that the other is playing, you know, really great basketball. But there's there's a cohesion that doesn't develop in 10 games. There's an understanding between teammates that doesn't un- develop in 10 games. And so when you when you are like this, when you if you are winning games, as Maryland has to this point, not all of them, as Indiana has to this point, not all of them, but some really good ones and some really important ones. If you're if you're at this point now, you know, there's a lot of room for you to improve and a lot of time for you to get it done. And you know, the truth is you're probably going to have some tough times before you get there. But, you know, I, I, I think that uh, for both of those teams, uh, there's a lot that can happen between now and, and, and the end of February. And it's up to each of their coaches and each of their players, each of their, uh, their rosters uh, to take advantage of, of what's available uh, to, to get to that destination. Absolutely. Well, Mike, we will be off the next two weeks because we've got Christmas Eve and then New Year's Eve. So this is the last time that we're going to talk before the new year. Uh, so I wish you, you know, a Merry Christmas, obviously a happy new year. And, uh, and I don't know about you, do you wish for snow around the holidays? No, I have to travel, uh, cause oh. my family is, yeah, so, uh, I definitely do not wish for snow around any holiday. <laughs> Plus, uh, you know, Kentucky, uh, Kentucky, Louisville is on the 29th. So I want that to be a clean drive, you know, so I, I don't wish for snow at any point in my yeah. life. Once, once you get to the point where you have wheels, Snow it loses a lot of its appeal. That's true. For for logistical reasons, I can see that. I I live in Dallas now, so I'm always hoping for snow around the holidays. It doesn't happen, of course. <laughs> but if so, hopefully, if there's any that's going to come your way, just send it on down here, and I will happily take it. You you can have all mine. <laughs> but thanks for your insight, as always, and uh, we look forward to resuming after the new year. All right, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to you too, Jared. I look forward to it. Yep. Thanks, Mike. All righty, coming up next on this edition of Banner Monday, Ben Ladner is here. We will have another edition of Basketball 201. We're going to break down Justin Smith's defense in our latest edition. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Welcome back to Banner Monday here at the Assembly Call. We don't just want to make you a smarter IU basketball fan. We want to make you a smarter basketball fan, period. And that is the purpose of our Basketball 201 segments where we dive into basketball concepts. We do film study, all kinds of things to help you see the game uh, at a different, hopefully more sophisticated level. And to do that, we have Ben Ladner, our senior intern this year from uh, Indiana University. Ben, welcome back to Basketball 201. Thank you. Always good to be here. It is. So we are going to talk today about 
one of the lightning rod players for Indiana this year, Justin Smith, who so much was expected of him coming into the season and, you know, has really, really struggled on the offensive end and has made, you know, he's been a guy kind of like Devontae Green that has made a lot of obvious mistakes that really stand out, like some of the turnovers and the bad passes and the missed dunks and that kind of thing that to a certain extent, I think, have obscured some of the good things that he has done. And a lot of those good things have come on the defensive end. And today we're going to focus on his defense uh, with some clips that you have uh, prepared and kind of show, I'm assuming it'll probably show some good and some bad, but certainly the one area um, I think where he has been really valuable despite his struggles on the offensive end. Yeah, you're right. The offense has really um, been a challenge for him. You know, it's, it's um, he doesn't quite have the, the decision-making and the judgment that you would want for someone like that, but you know, he's young. He's, um, he's not really, it's not really his role to like create things on offense. And so sometimes you kind of see him playing out of character there where he's just, he's kind of overextending himself when he doesn't really need to. But I agree that defensively he's been basically as good as I maybe expected him to be, um, which is a high bar. You know, I thought he would be really good on defense this year. And so far he's largely delivered. He's not, he's not quite a, you know, a, a versatile wing defender. He's not really going to guard switch onto, onto small guys and shut down true perimeter scoring threats, but you know, against the power forwards, the really good ones that, that Indiana's seen this year. And we'll look at two in particular in uh, Jordan Wara and Lamar Stevens today. I think he's really valuable against those guys. And I think he's done a really solid job on that end of the floor. And so it is frustrating. He kind of has his ups and downs like Devonte green where you know, the, the downs are a little bit more pronounced than the ups are because they're just more subtle. And so hopefully what we can illustrate today is, you know, the, the good that he does on the defensive end and how valuable that is to what Indiana wants to do. So we'll talk about his defense against Penn State and Louisville. How did you think he defended in the Butler game? I thought he was okay. Um, you know, Butler posed some kind of unique challenges with Sean McDermott at the four where he's, he's almost never going to venture inside the three-point line. You know, he's a pure spot-up shooter going to catch and shoot and Indiana's defense is kind of designed to pack it in and, and be in help position. And so he, he struggled a little bit at times to recover out to McDermott and other shooters, uh, Justin, uh, Jordan Tucker uh, comes to mind where those guys were able to get a couple of looks just because Indiana's defense was kind of condensed a little bit and Smith struggled to get out onto those shooters a couple of times, but I thought largely he was okay. You know, it, it's, it's kind of tougher to see when there's not like a, a star power forward like Louisville and Penn state have. So it really, when he's kind of in that role player mode as a defender, it's a little bit tougher to notice kind of what, what you know, whether he's really good or really bad. He, he generally tends to be in the middle in those sorts of situations. Yep. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go with some clips here. Yeah. So we'll just kind of off the top, you know, what 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 makes Smith, you know, a good defender in part is is just his physical profile. Right. I mean, he's he's six, seven, about two thirty, really strong, really athletic. And so just kind of naturally he has some versatility he's able to do a lot of things on the court that other guys just aren't able to. So that's, that's a good start for him. You know, there, there aren't many guys on Indiana's team that can really boast some of the physical traits that he has. He's a decent rebounder, but not a great one. You know, he's not going to, he's not Freddie McSwain where he's just going to dominate the glass. He's not really a great box out guy, but he just kind of uses athleticism and, and kind of smarts to kind of track down the ball. So he's pretty good at that. And I thought he's really done a nice job on opposing power forwards this season, especially the really upper echelon types of guys. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how Romeo Langford really thrives against the, the, you know, kind of the primary scoring threats on the wing because it allows him to kind of lock in on one guy rather than worry about 
chasing guys off the ball or worrying about where his, his help responsibilities are going to be or where he needs to rotate. You can kind of just lock in on this one guy, say, this is my man. Don't let him touch the ball. Don't let him score. And just take that as your primary assignment. I think Justin Smith is kind of the same way where he's not a tremendous help defender. He'll stunt, you know, he'll, he'll jab at, at passing lanes and things like that, but he's not going to fly over like Jawan Morgan does for help side blocks. And he's, he's not going to slide over like Brad Davison does for Wisconsin and take a ton of charges. He's, he's really kind of just a be in the right place, smart positioning kind of guy without really being an impact help defender, but on the ball, he is, he's much more impactful. And I think he's done a good job against Zion Williamson, even though Duke obviously destroyed Indiana and Zion had a pretty good game. I thought Smith was mostly in pretty good position in that game. I thought he did a great job against Lamar Stevens and a great job against Jordan Wara. Although, you know, like Williamson, Wara was kind of able to get his. The one matchup that he really struggled with this year was Daniel Gafford against Wisconsin. And for whatever reason, Justin just did not look checked in in that game. And he really struggled with the physicality that, that Gafford brought to the table and kind of the athleticism and the energy that he played with. Smith just didn't really look like he could match that. And so, Gafford's like it, five inches taller than him, I think. Right, yeah. So that's a tough matchup for really anyone on Indiana's roster. They didn't really have a great matchup for him. But against Penn State, I think Smith kind of started to turn that corner and had, you know, he wasn't perfect defensively. And there were a few plays, you know, I, I didn't I didn't pull all of them for, for these clips, but there were a few plays where he kind of lost track of Lamar Stevens off the ball. He took a bad route off of a screen and, you know, let his man get open for three a couple of times. So there were there, there were flaws, but I think there were probably more ups than downs in that game. And that's kind of been a trend over the last few games. So with all that said, I'm, I'm finally going to play this clip that I've had up on the screen for an hour here. Um, this is obviously against Penn state, you know, early second half, 18 and a half minutes, Indiana up by four and Penn state wants to run an action here to get Lamar Stevens coming across the baseline. He's inbounding the ball here, uh, baseline out of bounds on the right side of the basket. He's going to inbound the ball and then kind of loop over here to the right block. And they want to get him that post up touch on the block. But if you watch Smith, you notice that Penn state doesn't really even get that opportunity because he fights across the screen uses his body to push Lamar Stevens off of the spot. So you deny him that initial position that he wants. Penn State's forced to kind of go into their their second look, go into their other option in the in the sequence. They do, they swing the ball, they look for a pick and roll, but they don't really get anything. IU defends it pretty well, although this role is there if they wanted it. Finnessy gets back in front of the ball. We've talked a lot about how drop coverages work, um, and so Indiana executes it fairly well that time. They reverse the ball, and then Stevens is going to catch it again with five seconds on the shot clock. So Indiana's already taken away what Penn State wants to do on this possession, and they're basically giving it to their best player and saying, you create something so that we don't get a shot clock violation. And Smith, when the ball's swung, he comes in high hands, choppy feet. Perfect closeout from Justin Smith. Look at the stance he's in with his hands high. He's chopping his feet so he doesn't get blown by off the dribble because if you come in, you know, in, in long strides, you're susceptible to guys going around you because you're not on balance and you're not able to recover to that change of direction. And so he, you know, comes in in a stance, hands high and takes away not only the drive, but the initial shot attempt stays with him after the ball fake slides, his feet chest to chest, good contest off the front of the rim and Indiana secures the rebound. That's a fantastic defensive possession from Justin Smith. You know, Steven's got a shot that he's capable of making that shot. But it's one of those that late in the shot clock, you feel like you've, you know, Smith did all basically all he could to contest that shot. And while Stevens is capable of making it, it's one of those shots where you just kind of tip your cap if he does make it, 
because the percentages indicate that he's probably going to miss. Yeah, and like you said, the key was taking Penn State out of what they wanted to do, and you know him bumping him off the block. It reminded me of the clip I think you showed last week when Romeo was guarding yep. Vic Law, and he bumped him right off the block too. You know, just that little kind of beat him to the spot. And then that little subtle physicality just kind of knocking him over. And, and, you know, it's also kind of knowing the scouting report. I mean, Lamar Stevens has been feasting on guys on the block. But when you make him, you know, kind of a spot-up shooter or certainly, you know, a fading away long two, take that shot all day. <laughs> like, that's yeah. fine. And uh, I'd like to thank the Penn right. State guard for yeah, missing, huge, for missing uh, the wide-open man right. rolling to the basket. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge part of off-ball defense against primary scorers is just denying them the position that they want you know the the best scorers are so good that if they're able to catch the ball in in positions that they're comfortable in they're going to score almost every time just because you know creatures of habits muscle memory they get the ball in a comfortable spot it's it's almost game over and so if you're able to kind of make them uncomfortable push them farther away from the basket than they'd like to be you kind of change the entire possession and as we saw lamar stevens didn't even touch the ball there and then you end up forcing a really tough shot So the next clip is, if we're ready for the next clip, unless you've got anything to add. Yep. No, let's roll. Next clip, also from the Penn State game, kind of later in the second half where Indiana up by about nine. Penn State's going to make a run here. But on this play, it's, again, pretty good defense by Justin Smith. We're going to have a a pick and roll with Stevens on the the left side where Smith is, is guarding the screener. And you see him come out, perfect hedge. And one thing I really like about Justin Smith and why I think he's a good fit in Archie Miller's system is that when he hedges on those screens, he recovers to his man in, in the passing lane, basically. like he, he, The path that he takes to get back to his man is the, the lane that the ball handler would use to pass to the man. So not only are you recovering to your guy, but you're taking away that passing lane. Whereas if you take a different angle, a different route, then they're still able to get the ball to the roll man. And, and Smith is really good at taking at angling his body, you know, choosing the smartest route. He did this a couple times against Jordan Wara as well, um, where you're either able, able to prevent the pass or as we'll see in this clip, he's able to just get into the passing lane and take the ball away. And so that's a really smart play and something that I don't think all of IU's bigs do. A lot of the time after they hedge, they're kind of recovering to a spot rather than to their man. And I think Smith is really, really smart about where he just the, the path that he takes to get back to his man and that that resulted in a turnover, but you'll see a lot of plays where they don't even get to throw the pass. The opponent doesn't because Smith is in the way, and they know if they throw it, they're throwing it right into his arm. So is that just instinct and focus on his part to do that? I mean, clearly that seems like it's the ideal. It's probably what's coached. What, what would be the yeah. reason for not doing it that way? Yeah, I think he's got good instincts, so I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um, you know, a, a lot of it is just attention to detail. You know, when you're tired, this is four minutes left in the game. When you're tired, you're you've been defending this guy all game. Are you able to mentally kind of check in and and kind of remind yourself and force yourself to be disciplined on every single detail? And I think Smith, for the most part, tends to do that. He'll have these these mental lapses from time to time that can end up being pretty costly. But in those situations, I, I just think you know he's just mindful of that a lot of guys just it doesn't cross their mind, and so they don't even think to do it. But I think he he that's something that he kind of takes he makes a priority and and really. Uh, focuses on when he when he's playing defense Mm. next clip next clip is oh let me pull it up from the louisville game so obviously justin had had the jordan wara assignment for the majority of this game and when i rewatched it it kind of stuck out to me that i don't think really anyone else on indiana guarded jordan wara in this game save for maybe a couple minutes when smith wasn't on the court 
But when Justin Smith was on the floor, he was the only guy that guarded Jordan Wara, basically. Um, so this is early in the game. You know, Louisville kind of got off to an, uh, a hot start early. Um, but Smith kind of here on the elbow, guarding Jordan Wara on the right side. Louisville's going to get the action moving to the left. And then they kind of got a, you know, using Wara as a, as a reverse point, kind of this pivot guy up top. Smith, same kind of thing like I talked about against uh, Lamar Stevens. Watch his hands and his feet when he closes out. Hands high, choppy feet, and then spreads his arms kind of out to the side to take away passing lanes. That's textbook. It's exactly how you want to do it. They transition into a dribble handoff. And then just like the other clip I showed where, you know, Smith is able to take away the initial action again, another closeout. And it's just kind of Smith and his man on the right wing, one-on-one defense. This time, War is going to drive right, whereas Stevens drove left. Smith slides with him, stays with him, forces a pass to a, a far inferior shooter. And Indiana, you know, similar to that Penn State clip I showed, able to force a, a low percentage shot because Smith takes away what Louisville wants to do early in the possession, slides with his man step for step, keeps his body close, doesn't allow much separation, and just keeps his hands in a position where a shot attempt is going to be really tough. And, you know, threading a pass to a cutter or anything like that is almost impossible. So Jordan Wara had 24 points, um, relatively efficient. He was four of nine on twos, four yeah. of eight on threes. 14 rebounds so he had a huge game and as you said Justin was on him most of the game so is this one of those where Justin had a good defensive day and kind of limited what could have been more damage was war just hitting tough shots what what's kind of the assessment there yeah both I I think you know and Archie Miller talked about this after the game too where he he mentioned the same thing he said you look at war's stat line and it looks like whoever was guarding him just got torched which you know I suppose was true because he had 24 points and 14 rebounds but I think you know, great offense beats great defense. And there were times we'll see a couple of these times in in these clips where Justin Smith played really good defense and forced tough shots. And Jordan Wara is a good enough player to make those shots. That's sometimes what it comes down. We see this a lot with Romeo Langford where opponents will play really good defense on him and he's just better. So I think that Louisville game was a case of Jordan Wara just being better than Justin Smith. Um, But I I still think the discipline and kind of the execution of the game plan was what Indiana wanted. And again, Wara was just so good and, and had a, a really hot day that there wasn't really much Indiana could do. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, if a guy's going to make really tough shots, like we just said with Lamar Stevens, you'll let him take those. And, you know, some days they may make two, three, or four of them, and it kind of boosts up their stat line, but you still wouldn't have done anything differently. You just yeah. tip cap and go down and defend them the next time. So, Yeah. Next clip is also from the Louisville game. The, I, I guess the last two here will, will all be from that game. Uh, second half early on, still a, a tight game. Louisville bringing it across half court, and they start out with this horn set. They ran this a lot over the course of the game. Got Ryan McMahon coming for back cuts uh, a couple times, looking for Mora and just kind of to make plays out of this high post. And you can see from the start of the possession, Justin Smith is crowding his space, getting into him, and kind of preparing to push him off this spot because they want to start this possession kind of closer to the elbow. And Smith is pushing him out, you know, as far out as you can get him. Uh, the better it's going to be for Indiana. And so he, he's able to make the catch one foot inside the line. That's that's pretty good position from Indiana's perspective uh, because he's not behind the line where he can shoot a three, but he's not so far in that he can turn and shoot an easy jumper. And so they get kind of this big, big pick and roll. And Deron Davis does a nice job here staying attached to his man, but also kind of giving Smith a little bit of help. Justin gets over the top of the pick and gets right back in front of Jordan Wara. And Wara has a little bit of a step on him, but it's not so much that he's able to blow by. 
and Smith puts his chest into him, gets his arms up, and contests the shot. Unfortunately, Wara able to come up with the offensive rebound. But I like that initial effort from Justin Smith, just the ability to fight over the screen, slide with him, and contest while staying in position. You'd hope for maybe a little bit better box out, but because both guys were kind of flying out of bounds, it's it's hard to hold Smith accountable for for that offensive rebound because he was you know underneath you know behind the baseline. Um, so I, I thought that was a really nice defensive effort, even though Louisville ended up with a couple points on that possession. I, I really liked Smith's ability to slide his feet, kind of get into his man, use his physicality to bother the shot. Yeah, that's the one thing that jumps out about him is, you know, and you kind of mentioned this with his athletic ability and his length. He has a great like recovery slide step. He doesn't have to yeah. turn and run to make up ground. You know, where some guys, if they get beat by a half step, they almost have to turn and run to get back, but you have to get out of defensive position for a second to do that. He can make up a lot of ground staying in a fundamental defensive stance, which really helps him. Yeah, and the thing I mentioned, uh, too, about Deron Davis on that play, where he stays attached to his man, but also kind of keeps an arm out to give help. Justin Smith is also really good at that. He did that a few times in the Louisville game, where if Wara was setting a pick, Smith would almost kind of pseudo-hedge, where he would get in position to hedge the screen, but kind of keep a left arm looped around Jordan Wara's waist a little bit, just to make sure he could stay with him if he slipped the screen. And I thought that was really smart, and, and it worked really well, because you know, the priority is obviously Jordan Wara on those types of plays. You want to be able to stay with him. And so Smith was putting himself in a position where he could either help on the ball or stay with his man. And in some cases even do both. Uh, so I thought that was really smart defense. And, you know, again, a, not a lot of guys on Indiana's roster that can do that on a consistent basis against someone as athletic as Jordan Wara. I think that's the big key here is that if, if it's not Justin Smith, it's Juwan Morgan. And then if he has to guard the other team's best player, how much does he have left on the offensive end where he's so important? Deron Davis, Evan Fitzner don't have the foot speed to keep up with those really athletic power forwards like Steven and Stevens and Wara. Smith is really the, you know, the kind of the perfect type of guy to play that role and potentially the only player on the roster who can. So I think, you know, for all of his faults, for all of his, his struggles that he tends to have, especially early in the season, he's still such an important player. And, and, you know, people were asking, should he be out of the starting lineup? Should they replace him? Should his role go down? I think he, yeah, I get all the concerns about the offense and all that, but I, I do think his defensive versatility and his athleticism is important enough that you got to keep him in there. Yeah, like maybe... The final video here well, is... Um, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, maybe, yeah, go in, maybe in an ideal world, you would love to have the flexibility to be able to bring him off the bench or reduce his minutes right. until those things get better, but you're not going to do it on this roster. He's like, he's, he's an absolute linchpin, especially exactly. defensively. Exactly. So last play here, last clip of the of the session, also from the second half of the Louisville game, a couple minutes after that, that clip that I just showed Louisville running a, you know, you kind of, like I mentioned, using their big man as kind of that pivot point, swinging the ball from the left to the right transition into a pick and roll. War, Jordan war is going to come up here on the right side to set the screen eventually. And Smith, that's what I'm talking about where he, you see how he stays attached, but also puts himself in position to hedge the screen. So he's attached to Jordan Wara with that left arm kind of on, on his waist. And he's giving Rob Finnessy help here. But you'll see as Wara slides to the, to the wing here, Smith is in such good position that he's able to just kind of move with him. And Finnessy gets back in front. And then again, the high hands, choppy feet, puts his arm out and contests the shot really, really well. He had a play like that later in the game where Wara actually made like a 28-footer on him, yeah. um, even though it was a good contest, good closeout. Again, that's just a great player hitting a great shot. But on that play, you force him into a really tough shot, you know, a couple steps behind the three-point line, high hands, hand in his face, 
in a good defensive stance. I think that's textbook defense uh, from Justin Smith. What do you, I mean, it, it seems like kind of a ridiculous question given how he struggled offensively, but what do you think of his long-term NBA potential? Uh, well, if you'd asked me before the season, I would have told you he's a first round pick. I know that, that's, uh, that's I was, why it's a little I, more interesting now. Yeah. I was the driver of the Justin Smith bandwagon prior to the year. I was, I was all in on that guy. Now I, I think he's probably at least a three-year college player. That was probably obvious to most people before the year. Um, and I was just, you know, drinking too much of the Kool-Aid, but I, I still like him as, as an NBA prospect. I really do. And I, I get that the offense is not where it needs to be. He needs to shoot the ball better at the very least. You know, if he's not going to be a good decision maker on offense, you at least need him to be able to knock down shots. Uh, maybe he could act as kind of a, a small ball five or at least offensively function that way where he's setting screens and rolling to the basket as a dive man, setting up in the short corner in that dunker spot for drop-off passes. That might be closer to his role if he, if he has one in the NBA. Um, but really, you'd want him to be able to knock down the three, at least from the corner and just be a, a more versatile offensive player. I don't know that he's ever going to be more than a straight line driver off the dribble. I, I just don't see him with that kind of functionality and utility with the ball in his hands. And I don't think he's ever going to be a great passer, but the guy I keep thinking about, and it you know makes sense because they both went to Indiana and wore number three and wear short shorts is OG Ananobi. You know, yeah. it's a guy who was really raw coming out of high school, but had the tools and, and you saw enough of these flashes to think that they could really be something at the next level. And OG has been fantastic defensively in the NBA already, you know, a, a, a guy that you feel really comfortable with on even the best players in the league. I think Smith could get there defensively. I do. He's not quite as quick laterally and his strides aren't as long as OG's off the dribble, but, you know, explosively he's, he's just as strong. He's just as explosive. I think he's got similar defensive prowess there. Maybe not quite the upside that OG has. It's just a question of offensively. Is he able to get there? Is he able to be anything more than, you know, fill the lane and dunk the ball. I don't know that he ever gets there, but if he does, you're talking about a little bit different type of player. And OG, maybe, you know, he had longer arms, obviously, than Justin Smith. Yeah. He was a much more disruptive defender. You know, yes. he, his block rate was above 5.5% both years. His steal rate was at 3%. And that's where Justin, I think this year, his block rate is at 2 and his steal rate's at about 1. And last year, those two were flipped. But either way, you know, those seem to be things that do translate. But like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you're looking at how college defenders yeah. will translate to the NBA, look at their block rate, look at their steal rate, you know, and, and that's not something yet that Justin's really doing. Fundamentally sound, but not disruptive. OG was both. Right, yeah. Justin's a little bit more conservative defensively where, like, I think that's a great point. You'd see OG Ananobi, like, blow up dribble handoffs, just come through the passing lane, like we saw with Romeo Langford a couple weeks ago, where you just stick that arm through the passing lane and get it going the other way. Justin, he's always going to stay in good position. You know, he's always, like you said, fundamentally sound. He's, you're not really going to catch him out of position very often. He's always going to you know, close out, like I said, with those high hands, the choppy feet, do all those little things right. But he's more of a guy that just looks to kind of stay in front, do his job, you know, kind of not really take any gambles. And I do think there are times where it's good to take gambles if they're calculated. You know, if they're calculated risks, if you feel like you have the advantage and you can kind of, you know, take the, the, the offense by surprise um, and, and really make a play defensively, I think those are worth it. And, and so Smith, I would say, is, is a really reliable and serviceable, versatile defender, but he's not a defensive playmaker. And OG was a defensive playmaker. I think Romeo Langford is a defensive playmaker. Juwan Morgan is a defensive playmaker. Smith is not really a playmaker on that end of the floor. He's solid. Like I said, he's, he's versatile. 
He's a guy that can be a cog in the machine. He can be a really nice individual one-on-one defender, but he kind of prides himself more on forcing tough shots, staying in position, not getting beat off the dribble more than he does actually getting steals, getting blocks, and really galvanizing the defense and turning it into offense. Yep. Well, if you have been enjoying these segments, we've got a new playlist on our YouTube page, youtube.com slash assembly call. We've got the first two videos up uh, on that playlist. Basically, we take the the videos from these segments, pull them out so you don't have to go an hour into the into the full Banner Monday, and then you can just watch them right there. So we'll get the other ones up as well, so you can go check out that playlist. And then uh, we won't have, Ben, we won't have Banner Monday next week because it'll be Christmas right. Eve. Um, probably won't do one on New Year's Eve, but that one's kind of up in the air, so we'll kind of get ready to roll again in the new year um, and figure out some more good, interesting uh, clips and concepts to go over. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It'll also be nice because Indiana doesn't really play much between now and then either, so we won't really have much new material to go over anyway. No, I, I yeah, we're about to talk about Central Arkansas, but I'm hoping that these two games are not interesting. Yeah. Let's just, let's breeze through them, get the bench some playing time, and get on get on to Christmas. Yeah, I'm looking looking forward to the Forrester, Clifton Moore front court duo in garbage time. I hope so. If that It'd doesn't a, happen, a, then a something time. went wrong. So <laughs> <laughs> let's hope we see that. Well, hey, man, Merry Christmas. Thanks for all your hard work this year. And uh, looking forward to going through the rest of Big Ten play, getting your insights. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. All righty. So as we close up here on Banner Monday, I will do a quick preview of Central Arkansas, Indiana's opponent coming up on Wednesday. That's next on Banner Monday. Stick with us. Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week here in our final segment, we preview Indiana's upcoming opponent. And for the Hoosiers this week, there are two opponents. Wednesday is against Central Arkansas. Saturday is against Jacksonville. So we'll focus on Central Arkansas here. Maybe we can talk about Jacksonville a little bit on Assembly Call Radio on Thursday night. You know, Indiana has kind of had this gauntlet here starting on November 27th and then obviously through the Butler game. They face Ken Palm uh, teams number one, 47, 43, 39, 29. So that's five straight top 50 teams. Indiana obviously goes four and one in that stretch. And now you get what you would hope is kind of a little bit of a breather, um, you know, against a team, uh, you know, Central Arkansas, 272nd. That doesn't seem to pose much of a challenge coming in. Ken Palm predicts an 85 to 63 victory for Indiana. But. You know, as we saw with the UT Arlington and UC Davis games, which Indiana won by double digits, but those were both close, difficult games. You don't want to take these, you know, two these games for granted too much. So let's give some respect to Central Arkansas and kind of look at what they have coming in. When you look at what they have done so far this year, they're four and six. Two of their victories were over non D one teams. Their other two victories were both over Little Rock. <laughs> they beat them twice. Uh, Little Rock is 252nd in the country. So that's their best win. Uh, they lost to Missouri by 13. They lost to St. Louis by 12. St. Louis is ranked 72nd. Missouri, 90, 95th. So they've played a couple of top 100 teams. Uh, well, and they lost to Louisville 86 to 41. So, you know, they got, they got blasted there by the best team that they face. And Indiana, you know, obviously a little bit better than Louisville. So hopefully we can do uh, to Central Arkansas what Louisville did. But if you look at kind of what they have, you know, coming in and what they do, uh, 
The one area of concern, I suppose, is that they're a decent three-point shooting team. They shoot the three at a 35.5% clip. That is better than the national average. That's 131st in the country. Uh, They've got a guard, DeAndre Jones. He's a 5'11 sophomore. He shoots 45.2%. They've got a forward, Eddie Kaoloud. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, He's a freshman. He shoots it at 43.3%. So, you know, he's probably a guy that you would see Justin Smith matched up on, uh, I would assume, uh, you know, just kind of depending on how they how they put, they construct their rosters. He's typically playing in the power forward spot. So they've got a center, Hayden Koval, who plays about 65% of minutes. He's a seven-footer. So you would expect that Juwan Morgan would guard him. And obviously that's always a little bit of a concern just because you don't want Juwan getting in foul trouble. He is not a guy who draws a lot of fouls. He draws 3.1 fouls for 40 minutes. Um, so not a guy who gets to the line a lot. Uh, you know, they He uses about 20% of possession, so they don't run a ton of stuff through him. And he's actually taken 28 threes. So you know, he's a big man who can drift out and take some three-pointers. So... You know, look, this is a game Indiana will obviously be better all over the court. If you're Central Arkansas, the one hope that you have is that you can come in and get hot from three, uh, you know, and maybe find some weak spots in the defense to get open and then kind of ride a hot shooting night to the game being more competitive uh, than you would hope. But, you know, otherwise, they are not a team. They have one of the lowest, if not the lowest, free throw rates in the country, so they don't get to, to the free throw line. They turn the ball over a lot, so that should play into Indiana's hands if the Hoosiers come out and really play with that strong defensive mentality like we talked about at the beginning of the show, force some turnovers, you know, really get going, maybe get some transition buckets, uh, you know, like they did in the Marquette game and, and kind of get things going a little bit. Um, but that's, you know, that's really all that's notable here. Central Arkansas is a 317th in the country in defending two-point field goals. So despite the fact that they have a, uh, you know, a seven-footer, who actually, you know, who has a decent block percentage? Uh, I would, you know, Jawan Morgan will probably be able to just take him to town with his quickness and with his skill down low. Um, and Indiana's bread and butter, obviously, is their two-point field goal shooting. So that seems like a matchup that Indiana will absolutely dominate. So probably not a whole lot of reason to uh, to go over this too much more. If this game is, you know, if. if <laughs> If it's anything like the UT Arlington UC Davis game, something went wrong. Uh, what it, what will be successful for Indiana here is come out, get off to a good start, you know, establish some good habits, get guys like Romeo and Juwan, you know, off the court early so they're not having to play thirty to thirty five minutes. Give them a break and let some of these guys at the back end of the bench get on the court. Let guys like Zach McRoberts, you know, shoot the ball. Hopefully, a guy like Devontae Green gets his offense going. Those are the kinds of things that we really want to see in this game. Uh, and hopefully, uh, that's what we will see. So, that is Wednesday night. We will have a brand new episode of the Assembly Call IU Post Game Show as soon as that game ends. And uh, then we'll have Assembly Call Radio as normal on Thursday night. So, that is, uh, that is it. Hopefully, the Hoosiers come ready to play. And that is a dominant performance. All right. That is going to do it for us on this week's episode of Banner Monday. If you ever want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Monday afternoons for the live broadcast of our Banner Monday recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter, which will make you a smarter and more well-informed IU basketball fan. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you after the Central Arkansas game on Wednesday night. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. 
thank everybody for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Yeah. See you, Ryan. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support The Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show... We appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client.